This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for tuesday april 11th 2023 on today's episode of the show we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to my name is ben pearson i'm an editor at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slash film editor brad omen hey that's me Brad, what have you been doing recently? Oh, well, right now I might sound a little bit echoey because I'm recording in a public library meeting room. Uh, (laughs) Why are you there? Oh, well, you know, there's a little company called Xfinity and they just suck real bad. Uh, So there's some kind of internet outage in my area. And typically I would have gone to uh, a friend's house or their office uh, to use their internet. Uh, it's usually pretty easy when I've had to do the, deal with something like this before. Uh, but their internet was also out. So it's a pretty big problem over here in uh, in Indiana, thanks to Xfinity's reliable service. So <laughs> thanks, Xfinity. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Yeah. But my, our, our library has these pretty cool resources where they have like public meeting rooms where, and you can do like podcasts and they have like a bunch of other technical resources. So uh, yeah, Laporte Community Public Library. Pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, uh, I have been building some Lego sets, like like adults do. Uh, Lego sets are pretty cool, even when you're an adult. And uh, I have some cool Lego sets. I've gotten some new ones recently sent to me because I'm, I'm doing some reviews of them on SlashFilm.com. Uh, you can see one that I recently did about uh, a new Pixar set that is based on the uh, Carl's House from Up. Uh, it's part of Disney's 100-year celebration this year. Lego is doing some commemorative sets of uh, different um, locations, and they have like a whole new set of minifigures coming out. And so I got this one sent to me, and I uh, and I built it. And so if you want to check out that review on Slash from Canon, there'll be another one coming up soon uh, for one of the new Indiana Jones Lego sets. 
the the temple of the the golden idol, which is like a recreate Rama recreation of the opening scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is nice. pretty pretty cool. I'm in the middle of building that. And then uh, one that, that I was very surprised to get because it is a big one. Uh, I got the the Rivendell Lego set from Lord of the Rings, Ooh. and it is huge. <laughs> it's gonna take me a little while to get it together, but uh, I'm gonna do uh, write up a thing on that too about what that build is like and uh, putting that together. So it's 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 fun. It's good stuff. I I'm linking to your Lego review of the the Pixar thing in the uh, show notes for this episode. I have not had a chance to read this yet, but I'm curious, Brad. Like, what what is writing a review of a Lego experience like? How much of it is broken down? into like um you know aesthetic uh pleasure versus the actual like physical difficulty of putting stuff together and and how do you approach it something like that it, it kind of depends you know because like uh you know with this up one um i i wasn't expecting it to be quite as detailed as some of the other sets that i have like you know like i have a massive uh ghostbusters firehouse and i have the uh, the movie palace theater. And those are like Lego expert creator sets where there's a lot of little detail and stuff like that. And uh, the up one, um, it's a little more, uh, I guess, kid friendly, you could say it's not a full modular ber- uh, version of the house. It's more of like a, a facade with some details on the inside where like the back of the house is completely open for you to see a few of the rooms and some of the details. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, for like a set like this, there's cool little like little Easter eggs and stuff like that. Like there's pictures of young Carl with his, you know, pilot goggles on and a picture of Carl and Ellie's wedding day. And there's a, a little jar that says paradise falls on it and stuff like that. But I, like, for me, I, I do wish that like it was a modular building so that it, it felt a little bit uh, more, more complete in that way, because since it's a facade, it, it's only like two or three inches uh, deep, you know? So the, the front of the house looks awesome and it has the balloons uh, on top of it and everything and they they, they got the colors perfectly um but it's usually just like little you know nitpicky things that i would have liked to then see like just i guess be a little bit more accurate in the portrayal but sometimes when it comes to lego they just have to like do what they have with the resources available they're not because mm. they they have obviously they have you know tons and tons of different pieces but there are just like certain things that they're not just going to make like a custom piece, you know, just for a certain set. So, gotcha. um, but yeah, like the, the bigger ones, yeah, though, the full modular buildings, those are a lot more fun and they're, they're able to put a lot more details in them. But I, I also just like, you know, the, the way the Pixar up one functions. It's a, it's a charming place. Okay. Well, stay tuned to slash film for Brad's reviews about, uh, especially Rivendell. I'm very curious about your experience putting that, uh, mammoth thing together. Um, and, and if you want, if you want a, a deep dive into an, a, an entirely different topic on Slash Film right now, I've actually spent the past several months interviewing a bunch of voiceover artists uh, for this big article that came out this morning about uh, voice actors and artificial intelligence and whether or not they feel like they're going to be made obsolete by the advances in AI recently. And uh, the whole thing sort of stemmed from the news, I think it was last year, that uh, James Earl Jones is basically stepping away from... Uh, voicing Darth Vader in the Star Wars movies and and shows, but they're using archived versions of his recordings to generate brand new line readings in order to keep his voice as the one that is uh, basically like, um, you know, to keep a continuity where he is still technically the voice of Darth Vader, even though the new line readings are going to be enhanced by AI. So um, yeah, what is that like a Pandora's box that has been opened that will never be able to be closed again? And, and what do people like Nancy Cartwright and, uh, and Tara Strong and Billy West and like some of the most famous voiceover actors in the world think about that? Uh, check out the article. I will link to that in the show notes as well. Um, Did you get to, to talk to Billy West about anything Doug related? 
I did. I talked to him a little bit about some Doug stuff, just like off the record, basically. Um, and I asked him specifically about uh, like uh, the beats and and killer tofu and and all that. And like, yeah. uh, I need more allowance and some of those sort of classic Doug musical moments. And he was very, um, you know, he, he looked back on that period fondly. And uh, he told me a, a story about um, what he imagines Doug and Roger Klotz are doing now that they're adults. And uh, <laughs> it was very entertaining. He like slipped back into their voices uh, while I was on the, the oh, other. Oh, that's you know, so cool. The, yeah, the Zoom with him. So it, was, it definitely like took me back to, uh, to childhood. So um, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, but there's some some really cool stuff in this article. There's I, I spoke with uh, Maurice Lamarche, who's one of you know he's the voice of uh, Brain from Picky and the Brain, and he uh, he was the the voice so to speak of the giant burp in Elf an Elf that uh, Will Ferrell does it. And, oh wow! And so he they tried to uh, to put that together with essentially like AI technology or, or computer technology uh, back in 2002 or three, whenever they were making that movie and they couldn't get it to sound right. So they basically like called in Maurice Lamarche just to do that super huge, long uh, extended comedic burp. So um, you can read his experience, uh, uh, you know, doing that and and why he thought uh, the human touch added an element that, that computers never could uh, if you check out the article. So uh, I encourage everybody to go read that. Um, in the meantime, Brad, let's get into what we've been watching. What what have you been checking out recently? Yeah, so uh, I went to the theaters uh, to see 65. Uh, I kind of been dragging my feet on checking it out, but I wanted to see it because, hey, I like Adam Driver and I like dinosaurs. So why not see both of them on the big screen in a movie from the guys who made A Quiet Place? So that's what I did. Um, and I enjoyed this. You know, I, I don't know. I understand why, uh, you know, some of some of the critics reviewing this were so grumpy about it. You know, it's it doesn't reinvent the wheel. Uh, you know, it follows a, a similar survival thriller formula. But I thought Adam Driver uh, was pretty good. I thought he had some uh, cute chemistry with Ariana Greenblatt, uh, who previously played a young uh, Gamora in Guardians of the um, or not Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Infinity War. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's pretty standard fare when it comes to the kind of scares and stuff like that. But the the dinosaurs are cool, and it's it's a solid adventure flick. It's um, I would say it's a little more family friendly than I was anticipating. Not that it's you know necessarily for like the youngest kids, but like it feels like it's on par with the same scares of like a Jurassic park. And if you have like, you know, a 10, 11 or 12 year old kid who loves dinosaurs, they might be interested uh, in seeing this, even though the dinosaurs are made to be, you know, pretty scary and, and monstrous in this movie. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. You know, there's, um, it certainly has its flaws. It's not perfect, but I, I had a fun time seeing this and I, I, you know, these are the kind of movies I like to see in theaters, I like to see on the big screen. And I wish, you know, more people had given it a chance and I wish critics were, uh, you know, not, not so grumpy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I have not seen this movie yet, but, um, you know, from everything that I've heard from uh, from the people who've actually seen it that that I know, um, it seems to be like, oh, yeah, kind of, you know, it, it's more fun than um, than I guess the the critical consensus would have you believe. So, yeah, uh, I, I also have been really dragging my feet on this. It's, it was in theaters close to me for a little while. It's gone now. And I'm like, ah, I guess I just have to, like, watch it on VOD or something. But yeah, I um, went on my way to see it right before it left because I knew um, that some big stuff was coming up and it was probably going to be gone. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad I caught it. Yeah. What else have you been watching? Uh, I also watched Air, uh, which, contrary to what the advertising makes it seem like, doesn't have a subtitle. 
this entire time I was thinking that it was called Air Courting a Legend, or I've also seen Air A Story of Greatness. Um, but I was curious about this, and I actually reached out to find out if there was an official title or what's going on. But those are just taglines; they're not part of the title. And I, <laughs> it was interesting because the the that those words were so close to the title, like appearing with it all the time in advertising, that it made it seem like it was like a typical kind of subtitle. But the official title of the movie is just Air. So. If you didn't know that, you heard it here first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, and man, I love this movie. This is, you know, it's it has the spirit of uh, Jerry Maguire and uh, a lot of underdog sports movies, but it's about, uh, you know, the story that uh, people maybe don't know the specifics of, which is how Michael Jordan came to be signed by Nike when uh, all he wanted to do was not be signed by Nike. He was very much a dedicated uh, Adidas fan. This was a time in the... The 80s when people were obsessed with Adidas shoes and Adidas uh, jumpsuits. And uh, you have Matt Damon playing the guy who works for Nike trying to get them to spend all of their money that they would normally give to multiple players to help advertise their shoes at a time when Nike was not popular among basketball fans or any, anything like that. And to try and, you know, convince everyone to bet on on Michael Jordan. And it's just a very well-told uh, story. And it's just, it's, it's it's inspirational and uplifting. Everyone is great in it. Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck, um, you know, Viola Davis. And it's just, yeah, I, I just really adored this movie. And honestly, I would not be upset. I know it's early for this. And like, you know, this, this is not necessarily important. I would be very happy to see this movie get a Best Picture nomination. Wow, I, I think you're the first person who's been that high on the movie that I've spoken with. Um, is it just because it it represents that kind of like uh, down the you know like just like super satisfying type of thing that probably would have gotten the nomination in the '90s? Yeah, well, yeah, because to me in my mind, it it is very much like a, a Jerry Maguire kind of story, and Jerry Maguire was a big Oscar contender, and I think it, it it walks that same path. And I also think it's it's more than just telling the story of a brand too. Like I've seen so many people kind of disregard this movie as like oh cool it's a feature-length nike commercial and like it's really not about nike it's about like knowing your worth and believing in yourself uh you know not just because of michael jordan but because of you know what matt damon's character does and like there's there's great touches of for characters people like jason bateman and stuff like that and it's just this really like it's an american dream story you know and, and it's one of just about you know not giving up there's just so many like things that you can identify with and relate to and so I, I just i just feel like it checks so many boxes for me and i just i, I walked away loving it excellent all right what else have you been checking out i watched the super mario brothers movie um and you know critics are, are famously down on this one and I, I feel like i'm mostly uh joining them i will say i totally understand the fact that this is a movie that is uh geared towards kids Kids deserve to have uh, stupid movies just like we do. We, we love our Fast and Furious movies. You know, we, we, we love to eat them up with, with some popcorn. And kids kids get to have that too. Not every animated movie needs to be a Pixar movie, even if I would prefer that. However, what I would prefer uh, is a script that actually makes some goddamn sense. Uh, because this this is one of the, the laziest scripts uh, I have ever seen executed for an animated movie of this scale. And it's unfortunate because the animation is beautiful. Jack Black is great as Bowser. All of the Bowser stuff works. Uh, and there's there's cool, you know, Easter eggs and tributes to, to the video games. And the, the score by Brian Tyler makes excellent use of the various musical cues that people have been familiar with for decades from, from the Mario video games and even Donkey Kong and stuff like that. 
but it it all feels like uh, the story just feels like a, a, a way to weave them all together rather than trying to tell a story that you actually care about. And on some level, sure, it might be silly to like dissect a movie like this that is very clearly meant towards kids. But like, I just feel like if you're going to take an iconic intellectual property like Super Mario Brothers, like spend some time, you know, and don't ignore big problems that don't make sense in the script, illogical, you know, story points that you don't really explain, um, things that contradict each other. And like, um, I, I will give two two of my most annoying examples, and they're not really spoilers because you can't really spoil this movie. Um, <laughs> the first one is uh, in the beginning of this movie, uh, Mario and Luigi, they just released a commercial and they're waiting to get some new plumbing jobs. They get a call. Their truck breaks down, so they have to hightail it, run across town to try and make it in time to get there. Uh, they do a cool side-scrolling shot that replicates like the old-school Mario video games, and it's Mario and Luigi running across, you know, New York. And it's what's cool is that it's a recreation of the first level from Super Mario Brothers, um, but it's done in New York style. They're like, and Mario looks to be very skilled in a very parkour way. Like he's hopping over all these different obstacles and climbing up fire escape ladders and pulling Luigi along with him and, and helping him. And that kind of thing. It's clear he's he's a very capable person who can jump around just like you would expect Super Mario to be able to do. Then after he gets to the Mushroom Kingdom and Peach decides to test his metal to see if he has what it takes to go with her to the Donkey Kong uh, world and ask them for their help to use their army to, to fight against Bowser... Uh, he she takes him to this like training area that is like a three dimensional Super Mario Brothers level brought to life with like the the rotating batons that that hit you and the the platforms that fall away and the bricks and the power ups and all that stuff and for some reason when he gets to this he's not good at parkour anymore mm. and it's just like you just had the scene where you showed us this is what he's good at so why does he all of a sudden suck at this and that's, yeah. that was really frustrating to me and then the, the last thing was is there's a gag that they have when they leave Mushroom Kingdom to go to the Donkey Kong world. And the, all of the toads, the, the mushrooms, are around. And they see Peach leaving with Mario. And they're like, they don't know who he is, though. And so they're like, well, hey, who's this guy? And she literally goes, he's not important. And they're all like, oh, okay. And they leave. <laughs> then when they come back after their, their plan goes awry and they're uh, attacked by Koopa Troopers and stuff like that, Peach comes back to the castle in Mushroom Kingdom and... They're like, they're like, what's going on? And she goes, Mario's gone. This is what I... And they're all freaking out. And it's like, you guys don't have any clue who Mario is. Why do you care? Mm. It's just these leaps where they're like, they didn't, they didn't pay attention to any of the details and they didn't care to make any of it make sense. And there's a lot of stuff like that that just really bugged me. Um, and you can, you know, if you want to like say I'm nitpicking, that's fine. But these are just like basic story details. And these, yeah. are, these are the kind of things that I just feel like you can easily take a day to go through the script and be like, we should fix these things. But they just they, they basically decided, you know what? No, like kids aren't going to ask these questions. Who cares? Let's just let's just do this. Man, that's really unfortunate because Nintendo like famously has been so um, locked down with the. Uh, licensing for these characters after the 93 movie performed so poorly at the box office. And I was under the impression that they are hugely involved in, uh, you know, teaming up with Illumination to like creatively oversee this and really like usher this forward with like the stamp of quality that Nintendo, that you would associate with Nintendo. But it sounds like, I don't know if maybe something just got lost in translation or, or if they 
we're just trying to hit a release date or what. But um, yeah, that, that definitely sounds like something that could have easily been fixed had they uh, paid extra attention. But um, yeah, that, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, take your family, your kids will love it. I have talked to people who have kids and their kids were laughing and just enjoying every second of it. And it's fine. Like kids can enjoy things and like they deserve. But like for me, I just like, you know, it would it would be nice to see the filmmakers take a little more care with their story, you know, uh, and, and as well as having it land as entertainment for kids. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. All right, Brad, you have a couple other things that you've been watching. What's the first one you want to talk about? Yeah, so uh, I watched this movie called Comet, and this is a movie that I had wanted to see for a while. I remember seeing the trailer and being... Uh, really fascinated by it. And then I just kept putting it off and I've been putting it off this whole time. And uh, I noticed that it was playing on, um, I think it was Canopy, which is what the the, libra- the streaming mm-hmm. service that you can get access to for free if you have a, a, like a library card. Um, and this is a movie that is directed by Sam Esman, who uh, you guys may know as the creator of Mr. Robot. Uh, and this was like the first kind of big thing he did. And it's this um, sci-fi romance starring Justin Long and Emmy Rossum. And the best way to describe it is it's like before sunrise meets uh, eternal sunshine, um, where the Justin Long and Emmy Rossum have this meet cute and they start a relationship, but the story jumps kind of back and forth in time um, to these different parts of their uh, relationship. Um, and to the point where it almost feels like they're unfolding in parallel universes as well, because like it seems like they're kind of like different versions of their characters, but they each have the same relationship in all these other universes. Um, and it's, it's got a lot of style to it. And like the performances are really good. It's really driven by dialogue. Uh, and it's just, it's just very cool. I really, I really like this movie and it was, it was a little different than I had expected, uh, but it delivered the kind of thing that, that I was looking for. So if you, if you haven't seen this, I would recommend seeking it out uh, because it is, it's something that is, it's different and it, it, it hits, you know, some, some familiar touch tones that, uh, made me like it in the way that I like movies like Before Sunrise and, and Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, I remember seeing this when it came out in 2014. It's a super small movie. And this was before I had any idea who Sam Esmail really was. I was just going because I was a, a fan of Emmy Rossum and, and Justin Long. And I thought, I remember thinking that they did a really good job. Um, and I remember there being like some cool location stuff. Like there's a scene at the the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, if yeah, I'm yeah. remembering right. Um, 
but this is not really a movie that I've thought much about since seeing that uh, or seeing it originally. I was just looking at the, the Wikipedia page for it while you're talking, Brad. And <laughs> under the reception section, it says Variety called it a misfire, but praised the lead performances. Slash film praised the film overall, but criticized the main character, Dell, for bordering on pretentiousness and also criticized the writing as being slightly indulgent. <laughs> I mean, so. I, that's fair. I, I think I think Justin Long's character is a bit pretentious for sure, but I think that's also uh par- partially the point <laughs> yeah 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 it's been a while since i've seen this one I, I i saw it that one time and that was it but um yeah it's a, it seems like a cool uh opportunity to sort of go back and, and see like the early days of, of sam esmail i love doing that with directors like especially people who move on to you know to to do things that are like super high profile or whatever like d- it almost feels like comet is a discovery you know because yeah. the movie just like wasn't really given i think ifc released it at the time but it was not given like a big huge release and and did not make a ton of money at the box office. Oh oh my God. I was just looking at the Wikipedia page. It says it made $6,673 at the box office. Awesome. So uh, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's an understatement, I guess. But, um, but yeah, so Comet is evidently is streaming on Canopy and, and yeah, my memory says that you should check it out and Brad's much more recent uh, viewing of it, uh, uh, I guess corroborates that. So um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, comment good stuff what else you've been watching and then one more thing i watched is uh, i watched the burbs for the first time have you seen the burbs ben i watched the burbs probably 10 years ago um this is the tom hanks movie right yeah, yeah. and uh remember not really being able to wrap my arms around it just being like I, I don't know what to make of this movie the tone is kind of like all over the place and it just was not the sort of what mm. i expected a, a typical tom hanks movie viewing experience to be like um but i, I think at least looking back on my one-time viewing of it, I think I respect it more than I like it. And I respect the fact that it was like very weird and doing its own thing. But um, but I, I don't remember much detail about it. So what did you think about it? Yeah, so it, it's definitely not your typical uh, Tom Hanks movie. Um, and part of that is because it's directed by Joe Dante. Um, and But it, it doesn't quite feel like your average Joe Dante. Like, you know, it does have a little bit of a uh, satirical horror approach. Um but it, it kind of straddles this weird line between feeling like a, a straightforward comedy with, with just like a little bit of like suspense and, and tension. And it's, um, it's the, the kind of story you've seen a bunch of times before where uh, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher play this couple. They live in a neighborhood. Uh, and there, next to them, there is this really uh, de- decrepit, like almost haunted looking house. And they constantly hear weird noises happening across there, like lights flashing from the basement. Uh, and they don't really see much of the people who live inside. And that when you do see them, they're kind of creepy. They're like digging holes in the backyard. It seems like maybe uh, they might have killed somebody, uh, especially when one of their other elderly neighbors goes missing. Uh, and so they're trying to like kind of figure out what's going on. It's kind of where they're like trying to get into their neighbor's house and figure out exactly if they're doing anything nefarious or heinous or anything like that. Um, and like the whole concept of it really is it's this idea of it was at a time when like, uh, suburban life was like just thing where like it was just seen as being just a very pathetic kind of existence because like you're just bored you got nothing to do so when you have nothing to do all of a sudden you start suspecting that your neighbors are murdering people uh, and so like it really satirizes what life was like in the suburbs at the time these people living in these these big houses and just have nothing better to do uh, than you know speculate on stuff like that and come up with stuff and like they're they're the ones who are crazy as opposed to the people who they suspect um, mm. but but it's, it's Joe Dante and so there there's some like you know creep, creepy kind of stuff in it and there's uh, a fun ending to it all, but like I never quite connected for me. 
Um, and I'm kind of surprised that they haven't like tried to do some kind of like remake of this. Cause like in its current form, I don't think you could make this movie today the way it is, but I feel like if you take it and apply a little more of like a high concept, um, with, and, and they've kind of done that with movies like Fright Night, uh, and you know, v- various similar approaches. Mm-hmm. But, but I do think that there is like, there's something here that you could easily do, especially with today's culture, um, that provides the same kind of commentary, maybe a little bit more. Uh, focus, but um, it's it's still you know there's still some really fun stuff to enjoy because uh, Tom Hanks is it's it's fun seeing him in a role like this because it's, it's this is the kind of stuff he doesn't really do anymore. Um, but it also has Bruce Dern in it. Uh, it has Corey Feldman, who I haven't seen a movie with a, a an older Corey Feldman in a while, and it reminded me of a piece of information that I'd forgotten, which is that he's the voice of Donatello in two of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Oh yeah, because I heard him talking, and I was like, wait a minute, that's a fucking Ninja Turtle voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, my my favorite part of this movie, though, uh, is Rick Rick Dukoman. I think that's how you pronounce his name, or Dukoman. Um, he's this like this was this character actor in the eighties uh, and nineties who was hilarious. He's he's had had bit parts in stuff like uh, Groundhog Day. He's one of the the drunkards who is hanging around Punxsutawney. Uh, he's one of the prison guards in Spaceballs. You, you might remember him from uh, being the um, the driver in uh, of Preston in Blank Check. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's he's um, Ripper's agent in Last Action Hero. He has tons of these fun like little little bit parts, and he's he's a very funny guy, and he has a big supporting role in this movie, and he he's great. And it's a shame that he, um, you know, passed away, uh, you know, before really getting to like have any like big lead roles or anything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's very funny in this movie. Okay, so that is called The Burbs. Do you remember where you watched that? Uh, I think it was on Netflix at the time. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, I watched uh, two movies from the 1950s. Um, I'm, I'm catching up on Succession, Brad. I don't know. Have, have you watched oh, okay. Succession at all? I haven't. I've been meaning to, and I just keep putting it off. Yeah, it's like my wife and I knew that the end of the show was definitely going to be something that was basically spoiled for us on social media. And we're like, all right, let's just dive in and try to like finish the entire show and catch up in time to watch the finale live. So uh, we just finished the first season. So I'll, I'll withhold all of my uh, succession talk for like the very end when I finally catch up. But um, I watched two movies from the 1950s. I watched uh, a movie called The Hitchhiker from 1953. That is a, I think, the only film noir that was directed by a woman, uh, co-written and directed by Ida Pino, who's an actress who was in a bunch of great stuff. She was in this um, Humphrey Bogart movie that I saw not too long ago called High Sierra. That was really good. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, this movie is about two guys who are basically taking a, a road trip to sort of get away for a little while. And they're uh, like leaving their wives at home, like going on a fishing trip kind of thing. And they pick uh, they pick up a, hi- a hitchhiker who pu- immediately pulls a gun on them and just makes them... It takes them hostage and just makes them uh, drive him around and do whatever he wants for like 70 minutes. That's how long this movie is. It's 71 minutes. And I would say 65 of those minutes are just this guy with a gun trained on these two dudes and uh, forcing them to <laughs> like do his bidding, basically. Okay. Um so I, I was excited about this movie because I'd heard that it had a great reputation and I was curious about, you know, I do Lupino directing this and, and seeing what it was like. And this movie is just very, uh, it's kind of dull because like I said, the whole movie is just the same type of thing over and over again. Normally with movies like this, there's like some dynamic shift in the, the, uh, action or the power, uh, hierarchy or something. And, there's not you don't really get that in this movie so i just felt the whole time it just kind of felt like okay guys like it's two on one here 
there are clearly moments where you can either go for the gun or try to knock him out and regain power in the situation or whatever. And these guys just kind of don't do that the whole time. So I just ended up being frustrated through the entirety of this movie. Um, <laughs> so I guess I, I would not recommend watching this because of that. Uh, it is short. Um, so it has that going for it, but I just didn't really think it was like particularly inventive or like overly stylish or really have much to uh, recommend it other than like the, um, I guess the, the hostage plot, which is based on a real murder spree that happened maybe like in 1953, that was a little bit more novel than, you know, the fact that we're inundated with stuff like this all the time. Now, this seems like incredibly yeah. tame. Um, so maybe I can understand why it was a bigger deal uh, at the time and, and maybe sort of gained a bit of a reputation that way. But um, anyway, that's the hitchhiker. I would recommend staying away from it. Uh, but a movie that I would recommend watching is uh, from 1950 called in a lonely place. Have you ever seen this one? The Humphrey Bogart movie? I have not. So he plays a screenwriter and uh, in the beginning of the movie, he, he's sort of like, uh, he's like a, a real tough guy to like because he's always getting in fights. He has a really short temper. He's a really violent guy, but he's like generally well liked uh, by by the community, I guess. Um, and people just kind of like, you know, are, are treat him well, but kind of like steer clear of getting on his bad side. Uh, and he drinks a little bit, but he's not like a, a you know terrible alcoholic or anything as as depicted in in these movies. And so the movie begins with him basically needing a job and there's this this hat check girl at a club that he goes to or a bar and she has read the book that he is supposed to adapt into a screenplay and he's too lazy to read the book himself so he invites her back to his house and says hey will you just like come back to my house and read the like tell me the story of the book basically so i don't have to bother reading this thing because i'm i'm pro- i may or may not end up writing the screenplay anyway so she comes back she tells him the story and then she leaves and his neighbor who's played by Gloria Graham uh, sees this woman leave and then the woman is uh, killed the next day. Like it's all over the papers that she was murdered uh, at like one o'clock in the morning or something. And so Bogart is a suspect, but he calls his neighbor who's played by Gloria Graham and, and has her like be a character witness and basically say like, I saw this woman leave. There's no way he could have done it. And then the two of them end up falling in love and slowly over the course of the movie, the Glory Graham character tends to or like begins to suspect that like maybe Bogart's character actually did do this murder because he's like uh you know his his temper flares up in ways that that concern her um so there are really really great performances in here I thought Bogart was terrific like I, I generally am a sucker for things that he's in but I thought he was really really good in this and uh Gloria Graham who like I don't know if you if that's a name that you know immediately Brad but like you've definitely seen her work she was in she played Violet in It's a Wonderful Life and oh, okay. um, she was in The Greatest Show on Earth and she's in um, Oklahoma and like, you know, she, she was a, a big deal for, in like the, the 40s and 50s. Um, she, I thought, was was really outstanding in this movie. She does this thing with her eyebrow that where she arches her eyebrow in the middle of, uh, of takes in really, really interesting ways. I feel like she's one of the most interesting eyebrow actors that we have. So <laughs> uh, if you watch a Gloria Grant performance, keep an eye on her eyebrows because she's she's got a lot going on up there. Um, and this movie reminded me a lot of, uh, of Suspicion, the uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie from 1941, where Cary Grant... Uh, 
sort of seduces Joan Fontaine. And it's a very similar thing where like she slowly wonders if if he's trying to kill her, like if he is actually some sort of ne'er-do-well who uh, has, <laughs> uh, has um, you know, uh, ulterior motives or whatever. So it's kind of Bogart doing his version of that, you know, about 10 years later. Um, and I thought the results are really, really great. So In a Lonely Place is uh, streaming on the Criterion uh, channel if, right now, if you want to check that out. Um, all right, let's get into what you've been eating. What have you been trying recently, Brad? All right, let's 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 talk about it. Um, so, Little Debbie has uh, a new flavor of Swiss rolls. Uh, everyone knows Swiss rolls because they're the Little Debbie version of Ho Hos. In my opinion, they're not as good as Ho Hos. I think Ho Hos are the superior rolled cream snack cake. Um, but I think we've disagreed on this in the past. I'm a Swiss roll kind of guy, but oh, that's, that's, that's fa- fair enough. But that's very upsetting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, uh, they have a new flavor for Little Debbie Swiss Rolls, uh, which is strawberry. So they replace the regular cream with strawberry cream. Uh, and I, I really like these. Uh, I like these more than the, the regular Swiss Rolls, actually. Uh, the strawberry flavor is definitely, it's, it's, it's an artificial strawberry flavor. You know, don't expect to get a natural strawberry flavor from uh, a very artificial snack cake. Uh, but they are very, very good. I, I like them a lot. And so I don't know if these are just limited uh, time kind of things, if they're going to be a new permanent edition. Uh, so if you see them out at the store, I would recommend grabbing uh, a box or two. Um, I've spotted them at, at Walmart so far, but they should be at various grocery stores. They are they are delicious. Yeah, I saw them at my local Publix here in Florida. And um, uh, have you tried strawberry shortcake rolls? I think that's what they're called. They're basically the same thing, but I think they have like a vanilla um, cake or, or coating or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, and I think the strawberry inside them is actually more of like a strawberry jelly. And this is very much a strawberry cream. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask about the yeah. if that was similar. So, okay, good to yeah. know there's so, a, yeah. a distinction there. Yeah, not a big fan of the strawberry shortcake rolls. That's just a, not something that I have enjoyed very much. Okay, what else have we been checking out? Uh, I also tried a new M&M's flavor. They have uh, caramel cold brew M&M's. And uh, I wasn't necessarily a big fan of the regular caramel M&M's. There's just something up that um, they're, if you expect them to be chewy, like that's fine. But like M&M's to me, like they're, they're more often than not, they're supposed to be just like crunchy bite size, you know, chocolate uh, bites. And the caramel definitely makes them chewy. And this, this is the same kind of thing. But I think I like these a little bit better because the, the coffee flavor goes very well with the caramel. Um, it's not overwhelming. And it's, it's just a good mix with the caramel flavor. So pretty good. Uh, but if you don't like, you know, the chewiness of caramel M&Ms, then they might not be uh, up your alley unless you're just a, a real diehard coffee caramel fan. <laughs> <laughs> You've also tried a candy bar that I've never heard of before. Yeah, because these are, these are new. There's actually two. Uh, Rice Krispies teamed up with uh, Frankfurt Candy to release two of their own candy bars. Um, one of them is a, a, a marshmallow uh, chocolate uh, flavored candy bar. So it's like it's like a it's like a white chocolate, but it tastes like um, basically it tastes like a Rice Krispie treat, and it has Rice Krispie pieces in it. Normally, I'm not a big fan of when they try to turn marshmallow into a flavor for candy. I'm just a flat out regular marshmallow kind of person. Like give me you know give me marshmallows on s'mores and that kind of thing. But sometimes the the way they try to capture the flavor of marshmallow is is not something that I enjoy very much. But here, since they've it's Rice Krispies and they've managed to capture the flavor of Rice Krispies treats in a candy bar form, I actually really liked it. And along with that, they also have uh, a strawberry candy bar that has Rice Krispie treats in it as well, which is which is very good. Um, you might have seen around Easter they had a bag of Rice Krispies eggs where they had they had regular milk chocolate, they had white chocolate, and strawberry with. Rice Krispies inside them, and so these are along those lines, and they're uh, they're both very good. Um, I, I I like them a lot. 
Nice. Okay. Uh, you've also been trying a, an energy drink? Yeah. So because of my uh, Instagram, Brad's Junk, and that's at look at Brad's Junk. If you haven't checked it out, I post about all this stuff uh, and much more all the time over there. Uh, I got sent a pack of new energy drinks from Rain, uh, which is a, a company that I think falls under Monsters purview. Uh, and they have a new line called Rain uh, Storm, and it's clean energy drinks. And like they're basically touting, uh, you know, they're 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 plant based, they're vegan, they're gluten free, they're sugar free. And to me, that sounded like the recipe for a drink that tasted bad. Uh, but I'm actually <laughs> very surprised to say that these actually taste delicious. Uh, they're some of the best sugar free energy drinks that I've actually tasted. The flavor is really good, so much that like you don't miss the sugar and. Uh, what's cool about it is like they they like this is like their big thing of like what makes it clean energy. There's no high fructose corn syrup. Uh, there's no like artificial color or or flavors, and so it's it really seems like a pretty decent alternative to getting you know a regular monster or some other energy drink that has you know full sugar and all that stuff in it. And so they're they're only ten calories, and it's yeah. So I, I was pretty impressed by them. There's uh, four flavors. There is Valencia orange, peach nectarine, uh, grape and uh kiwi something some kind of kiwi flavor um so yeah but these these are out on shelves now and i i was impressed by them they're they're pretty tasty okay so that's rainstorm energy drinks that's r-e-i-g-n for the yes. spelling in case you're trying to track those down on shelves um, brad i have to admit i have to admit that the next thing you're going to talk about here um like conceptually i'm completely out on just because of the title screaming sicilian breakfast pizzas i, I don't scream at me in the morning please. it's too early <laughs> well to be fair screaming sicilian is just a regular pizza company so it's not just breakfast pizzas so like are you okay if they scream at you for like pizza at lunch and dinner yeah yeah totally fine with that okay yeah. fair enough <laughs> uh but yeah screaming sicilian is a pretty big br- uh brand of frozen pizzas that you'll, you'll probably have seen in your freezer section at grocery stores uh they have a lot of the standard pizza flavors uh but recently I noticed that they have a couple. They had a couple mini uh, breakfast pizza options. Uh, I am a big breakfast pizza fan. Uh, one of the things that I miss very much is getting breakfast pizza from uh, the school cafeteria. Those were delish. Uh, and I like a good breakfast pizza that has sausage and gravy on it. I like a breakfast pizza that has eggs and breakfast meats on it. That's just that's just who I am. And so I really liked both of these. They have they have two different ones. They have they have one that has uh, sausage and breakfast sausage as as the sauce. So it's not like a traditional pizza sauce on it. And then they have another one that has like a, a butter kind of sauce um, on the crust with eggs uh, and sausage and I think also bacon and uh, and cheese. Uh, and both are fantastic. They're little personal uh, size pan pizzas. Basically, you can throw them, you can you can microwave them, but I put mine in the oven because it's always way better uh, in the oven. And uh, I really like these a lot. I've I've had trouble finding them again. I only found them once, and it took me a little while to find them initially. So I don't know how. Uh, easy they'll be to find, but just keep a lookout in the e- either in the breakfast section uh, or the pizza section. Um, I-, I found mine in the, the brec- frozen breakfast section. Uh, so it depends on what your store decides to do by categorizing it as frozen pizza or frozen breakfast. But they're great. So I recommend trying to track them down. Okay, so that's Screaming Sicilian Breakfast Pizzas, and I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. Again, I'm going to link to a bunch of stuff in the in the show notes for uh, Brad's review of the Lego set and my article about voice actors and AI, so please read those. We would really appreciate that. And you can find more about all the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing the, the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There is a link for, uh, to that in the show notes as well. Please send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.